Barbie and I were traveling one day this week and uh, going to, to lunch and, and we were listening to, I, I think it was Laura Ingham's radio show and a program. And um, she was talking about the, the flood in, in Houston and the efforts and, and the, the people that were helping. And she, you may have heard this. She, she mentioned a guy, she said that he's known as the mattress man. And uh, the mattress man has a large, evidently a huge store in Houston, several thousand square feet building, uh, sells bedding and mattress and whatever. And he's open, he has opened his store up. And so I don't, 300 or something uh, home, you know, displaced people are sleeping on the, the, the store showroom mattresses. And it was neat. And she, uh, she said, uh, Laura Ingram said, it's good to see uh, a person that is living out his faith and it was, it was neat. And then just in a few minutes, they, they were interviewing him. And uh, I got tickled. And, and he had some pretty flowery language. And, and, I, and uh, I'm thinking, oh, dear Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> and and, and he, 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 may, he may be a, a believer, I'm not sure. But he was doing some good stuff. But the thought that, I, that came to me was this, is that, and, and the good is done. I'm, this is not said anything about that. But there is such a difference between being good and being saved. There is such a difference between that. And when we can do good things, we need to be doing good things, you know? Uh, we need to be doing the right things. And as believers, we have the Holy Spirit to encourage us and to help us and to show us what those right things are. But, uh, but we, we need to do that. The reason I'm saying that is when we come to this latter part of chapter 12 of Matthew today, I think the message that Jesus had for Israel, the national message, and the individual message spiritually, both, both politically and spiritually, and the message that for America and for the House of Prayer and for Houston, to, and, and both nationally and individually, spiritually, I think there's so much similarities. And I don't know when I've been so burdened and, and, and say, Lord, please help me share what you've showed me so that we can see your heart and mind and know your heart and mind of what you're saying to us right now through this scripture in the, in the last part of chapter 12. To, to kind of get a run in context of that for those of you who are just joining us and it's, it's so good to have it. And for those of you who left 105 temperatures or, or heat index temperatures to come to, to 50 degrees this morning and with the windows up, and one of, our, one of the ladies said, I was going to wear a dress this morning, but I stepped outside and said, mm, these pants feel really good. I'm going to enjoy that. Uh, so good to have you here. It means a lot. It means a lot to me uh, when you say, when we're, when we're in Blairsville, we'd love to come and worship. Um, not because it's anything about me, but, but Jeff mentioned it, and I mentioned it to Richard. It's amazing. Jeff mentioned it in the context of God's grace that brings us together from all our backgrounds, uh, from all our educational levels, from all our cultural levels, all racial backgrounds in one body, the body of Christ. And, and, and sometimes he just drops us hors d'oeuvres to get just a hint of what glory is going to be like when we get home to heaven. When every, every tongue, every nation, every language is going to be worshiping him in one language around that throne of glory. Man, man, man. But it's good, but welcome. But for those of you that may be dropping in, let me give you a running background. In chapter 12, opens up with Jesus and his, and his disciples going through the, the, the wheat fields or the, the grain fields on the Sabbath day. 
And so they're, they're, they're hungry. They get some, pull off some heads of grain and they rub it in their hands and they're eating that trail mix as they go. And the uh, religious leaders are just, uh, they can't believe it because to them, gathering that is, is harvesting and winnowing, that's working on the Sabbath. And they can't believe that Jesus would be allowing his and taking part in that with his disciples. Well, soon as he, uh, immediately thereafter, he goes into the synagogue, same Sabbath day, most likely, and there is a man whose hand is crippled. And Jesus seeing his crippled hand, and they're watching to see what he's going to do the Sabbath again. And Jesus heals the man's crippled hand on the Sabbath. They can't believe it. He's got 600 days. He can do miracles. You don't work on the Sabbath. And surely healing this man's crippled hand is work. Well, shortly after that, then they bring to Jesus a man who is blind and can't speak. Jesus heals him and he casts a demon out. And rather than rejoicing and thanking God for what is done as this man is, is seeing and is, and is speaking, they accuse Jesus of casting demons out in the name of a demon and of being possessed with a demon. We, we got to that then last week, we kind of moved on and we did three sermons in one last week. We, we took a look at verse 30 of Matthew 12, where Jesus is saying that there's no middle ground. Either you're saved or you're lost. You can't be neutral when it comes on your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And he was very plain with them and he's very plain with us. That, we're there, that there's two categories of people, spiritually speaking, those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and those who have not. Now, you may disagree with that. You may say, Jerry, that's, you're, you're, just, you're just skipping over all the religions of the world. You're skipping over all the people who, who are doing the best they can do. No, I'm not skipping over anything. And if you have a problem, take it up with our Heavenly Father. Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father, what? Except through him. Except through him. We're living in a politically correct, charged climate today that doesn't want to offend anyone. And so we're letting people die and go to hell feeling good. Would to God that we were bold enough to just say, Jesus says that you either know him or you don't. And that the only way to know God, the only way to have an eternal uh, relationship, an everlasting relationship in heaven in a place he's prepared for us is through his son, Jesus Christ. That's his word. That's simple. So we read that in verse 30 last week. That was one message. And then in verse 37, we looked at the second message. And the second message was this. It was Jesus said, listen to the words because their words are revealing their heart. Our words reveal our heart, what's in that. Because it's out of the heart, Jesus said, that the mouth speaks. And as we looked at that, and he said not only that, but he warned us and he said, know this, every one of us are gonna give an account of every careless word we speak. Now, when you talk a lot, like me, that's sobering, it really is at times. I think there's a proverb, this is a Jerry Helton paraphrase, but it says, in a multitude of words, there's no lack of sin. The more we talk, the more we have to be careful and ask the Holy Spirit of God to put, to, 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 to put a, a monitor or a governor. Well, that would be pretty cool, wouldn't it? I know, you're gonna get so, you know how, I can't even go there. I can't go there, that's a whole other thought. I never thought about that though, but a governor, you're going fast off, sudden it just slows. 
way down, so we think about it. But that's our words. That's verse 37. Then last week, the third message was in verse 38. Having seen all this, having been there and experienced and seen the, 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 the blind healed, seen the, the deaf, uh, the mute speak, and all the miracles that he did, then there were, there were those that would say, just show us a sign. If you'll just prove to us that you're really who you are, we'll follow you. And Jesus said, here's your sign. Here's your sign. So if you don't believe and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, seeing what he's already done in his word, most likely it's just an excuse if you're asking him to do something else in your life. If you're an unbeliever and you're saying to him, well, just show me, just prove me. Look around us, the testimonies, the changed lives. The changed lives, folks. Only God can do that kind of permanent change. When he changes a heart, he changes it for good. We don't need any other sign. He's given us this sign. But on, we've, we've got up to now, and I want to get a running start with verse 39. But we're going to be focusing this morning our attention on verses 43, 44, and 45. But to get us there, let me get a run ago. Verse 39, Jesus answered and said to him, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign and no sign is going to be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the son of man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus said the resurrection, the living Lord there's no greater demonstration that Jesus is who he claimed to be, the Son of God, that he is God, than the resurrection. There's not going to be. Don't look for anything greater. There can't be. Verse 41, Jesus says, the men of Nineveh shall rise up in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And one greater than Jonah is here, and you've not repented. He goes on in verse 42 and says, the queen of the south. He's talking about the queen of Sheba. The queen of the south. Isn't that right? That's queen of Ethiopia. Is that queen of Sheba? I, think, I don't know. I, I may be getting mixed up with watching Tarzan. I was influenced a lot as a kid. Anyway, the queen of the south shall rise up in the judgment with this generation and shall condemn it. For she came from the othermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, one greater than Solomon is here. He was speaking of himself. And he was saying to this generation who wanted a sign, he called them a evil and adulterous generation. He calls them a wicked generation. And he, he says, this generation... To you, you. He said, the men of Nineveh will rise up in the final day and, and condemn you because they heard Jonah preach and they repented and you've had the son of God here and you've not even recognized him. The queen of the south will rise up in judgment and condemn you because hearing about the wisdom of Solomon, she made the journey and traveled on a treacherous many miles in some difficult situations to, to, to glean from his wisdom. And the giver of all wisdom is here in your midst and you've just ignored him. Verse 43, that's where we're going to focus. And I'm going to read King James here in verse 45 
it ends, it's almost like uh, at the end, if, if you've got a living trans, uh, paraphrase Bible, it's gonna say here, and to this evil generation, and, and describing this evil generation. Let's, let's pick it up, verse 43. Jesus says, when the unclean spirit, now it just, all of a sudden it's just like, what? When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, the unclean spirit walketh through dry places seeking rest and finding none. Now it seems as, as if that Jesus is kind of giving the implication that, that demons are, as they move around, that they are looking for some kind of host, a place to act out through. Think of the gospels, I think of the the demon-possessed man on Lake Gennesaret. They called him Legion because he had so many demons that lived in him. And remember that, uh, that Jesus meeting him and Jesus sends, sends the demons out of the man and, and the demons say, send us into that herd of swine, hogs. And Jesus says, have at it. And so they, the demons enter the herd of hundreds of hogs and they rush out of control, madly, off a cliff into the ocean, and all of them drowned. It's the first time deviled hog, deviled ham is mentioned. No, it's not, it's just. <laughs> but um, they, they, seem to be, they seem to be seek a, though at that time they were indwelling animals or human. It says, seeks none in verse 44. Then the demon says, I will return, and I look into my house from whence I came. It's an interesting word to me. I'll return to my house, my abode, where I was comfortable before. I'll return there from where I came from. Verse 44 says, and when he come, he finds it empty, swept, and King James says garnished. Now, first service, we, we looked at that word garnished, and we, what, is, what does that mean? What's other translations got there? Put in order, huh? Tidy, tidy. Someone said decorated. Uh, put in order, I think, is a good translation. And, and, and being married, my wife is a cleaner. She is an amazing cleaner. Uh, and, and for her, to, when I read this, I thought about how that, that it's, it, this, this, he came, comes back and he finds this heart clean, swept clean, and put in order, but empty but empty, that is critical. We're gonna talk about that. Then the demon goes and takes with himself seven other demons from the hood. Evidence uh, of other buddies. And look at verse 45. He says they were more wicked than he was. I never noticed that. Now in verse 43, when, when Jesus is describing this demon, and he's talking about this generation, Israel. He describes, he uses the word unclean in verse 43. And that word unclean carries with it the meaning of filthy, uh, disgusting, dangerous. I'm running off and leaving my notes, I have no idea. Filthy, disgusting, and dangerous. But evidently, some of these demons are more disgusting 
are more dangerous. Here it says more wicked. Did you see that? They're all bad. They're all dangerous. They're all disgusting. But evidently there's some super duper dudes that are worse. And so this, what happens is this demon finds seven that are worse than him and they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. And this, this is the, this last sentence is telling us, is giving us a clue to why Jesus is saying it then and to those that he's saying it to and why we can apply that now. He says, even so shall it be unto this wicked generation. This wicked generations. Now with this example, Jesus has given us, I believe, uh, 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 this picture, Jesus has given us an example, not only nationally. Israel, if you remember reading in the Old Testament, Israel was, in my opinion, they were notorious for, they would, God would bless them, brought them out of Egypt, they grumbled in the wilderness, he gave them manna. They grumbled in the wilderness, he gave them water. They got them to the edge of the promised land, sent spies in, it was, it was flowing with milk and honey, they grumbled and afraid they was going to... Uh, I couldn't make, couldn't take it. So he said, that's enough of you. And so he let this whole generation of grumblers and complainers die in the wilderness. And he brought in a new and younger generation. And so they go into the wilderness and God gives them tremendous victories. And what happens? In their victory and in their blessings, they tend to forget God. God has blessed them so good and they tend to say, hey man, God, everything is going great right now. We got all the bills paid. We got food in the pantry. Listen, we will, we will holler at you if we need you, okay? We, we, you know, don't, 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 listen, you don't have to worry about us, but if we need you, we'll, we'll get in touch. So Israel, God would bless them. Then neighboring countries, God would allow them to, to attack or to persecute, famine, distress, to try to get, to keep Israel focused on who, where their blessings came from and focused on, 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 the, on him and in their, in their prosperity and in their fluency, affluency, they would neglect that. Then something would happen and they would cry out to God. And God would hear from their prayers. He would, he would send a reprieve and everything would be great. And what do we read? Same thing over and over. And soon they're forgetting God and they're worshiping other idolatries and all this other stuff. And finally God said, that's enough. It's enough. And so he lets them be, be overwhelmed and overrun and, and taken away captives to Babylon and their country destroyed and their, build, their cities burned and their, their lands ruined. And he takes away the people. And while they're there, God is wanting to get their heart because God is always wanting to get our heart focused on him because it's out of our heart where the issues of life come. And so God, God in his mercy and grace then lets him come back into the land and they rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And they're back there and now in Jesus' time when he's standing there before them, they look and they, this is their history, but now what has happened? Now they were, have become one of the most religious nations in the world. Religious. 
Everything is evolved around keeping their rules and their customs and their laws. And it's so important that they keep them. It's like the fog on a, uh, this morning when it's so thick, you can't see the mountains because of the fog. They couldn't see God because of the fog of their own religiousness. Jesus warns of just cleaning up and not filling up our hearts with the Holy Spirit of God and with the, his, the good things that he wants us to. Now our hearts are like he said, going back, go back to his house. This demon is wanting to return to the house. And indeed our hearts have the capability of, uh, of housing both bad and both, both good. In Matthew chapter 15, verse 19, he tells us this. He said, out of the, out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. Verse 20 says, these are the things which defile a man. But we've also seen, Jesus has also shown us that out of the heart can come good things. Here in Matthew 12 in verse 35, he said, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasures bring forth evil things. So out of our heart, our words come. Out of our heart, our action comes. Our heart reveals who we really are individually and as a nation. When we come to Christ as individuals, when we come to him and say, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I need your forgiveness. He does something in our hearts. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22 tells us that he cleanses our heart. He says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed pure, with pure water. And in Acts chapter 15, verse eight and nine, says, so God who knows the heart, acknowledge them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us and made no distinction between them and us, purifying their hearts by faith. But as he cleans our heart and cleanses our heart and now has as, as, as it, he gives to us then an expectation to you and, and to me is that we then will fill our hearts and not leave them empty. Galatians chapter four, verse six and Ephesians three, 17, Galatians four, six says, and because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts crying out, Abba, Father. And Ephesians says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. So when he cleanses our heart, the Holy Spirit, and this would be in Romans 8, would say the same thing, that when a person comes to Christ for salvation, then he gives us his Holy Spirit, comes into our hearts and indwells there, there. That's Romans 8 very clearly says that. And then here in Ephesians says that that Holy Spirit and that even by faith, Christ dwells there. Oftentimes when you're talking to kids, we talk, we use a scripture in Romans, I mean, Revelations 3.20. And we say where Jesus is standing at the door and knock. And if any man hear his voice and answer the door, 
and invite him in, he'll come in and dwell with him. And we talk about Jesus being in our heart. And Ephesians says, by faith, he's there. Not only is the Holy Spirit of God and Jesus Christ, his son by faith, but also Galatians 3, verse 15 and 16, our Colossians says that God has given us his peace and grace to fill our hearts. It says, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which you were also called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonish to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So his presence of the Holy Spirit, the presence of Christ, the peace of God, the grace of God. God's word, Hebrews 8.10 says that even the word of God is to be written on our hearts. The picture that Jesus is presenting of the nation of Israel and of the religious leaders of Israel of his day was this, that here is a nation that has cleaned up the outside, but they've not finished the drill by filling up the inside. And so now this unclean spirit returns to his house, bringing worse dudes with him. Someone has said, I heard it, haven't parsed it all out, but someone said, I'm just throwing it out, says, where Jesus doesn't live, demons are free to live. What I am seeing and what I am concerned about today in our country right now is this. Speaking of the mattress man and his example of living out his faith, and again, Every good thing that's being done is great. I'm not talking anything about that. He was doing a good thing there. But there's only one object of our faith that is a saving faith. And that's the finished work of Jesus Christ, what he's done on the cross. Faith in our goodness, our faith in our morality. Well, I'm, I'm going to heaven because well, I'm, 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 I've never killed anybody. I'm not a murderer. Never cheated my wife. I'm not an adulterer. I'm not an addict. I'm just a good person lost and going to hell. We don't say that, you know? Faith in our goodness or our morality without a real heart change. I'm afraid could leave people in a worse position in the end than they were before. You say, how could it be worse? How could it be worse? Let's, let, me, let me quote John MacArthur. This is interesting. He says, a religious, self-righteous, reformed person is subject to Satan in a way that a guilt-ridden, immoral person is not. Let me, let, a religious, self-righteous, reformed person is subject to Satan in a way that a guilt-ridden, immoral person is not because... His very morality blinds him to his basic sinful condition and need. He is satisfied with his empty house, thinking that freedom from outward manifestation of sin is freedom from its presence, its power, and its damnation. I'm just concerned that to preach good behavior apart from a cross-changed heart may find people further away from the God they need than they were before.
And now the, uh, a word about the, the unrest in our country. I, I don't know. I don't know if it's Antifa or Antifa. I, I just I just see them as a bunch as a gang, a bunch of gangs and thugs, and and, and renegades. I, I see that and the hate groups and the division in our country. And the division in our country. Let me just this this is Jerry Hilton now. I'm just stumping a little bit. The division in our country. I don't believe that. that yes, there has been racial prejudice. Yes, there has been racial injustice. That's true of every country. That's not, that's not excusing any of our, that's happened to ours. But this is Jerry Hilton. I do not believe that what we're seeing in our country is a result of racial prejudice or injustice. I believe what we're seeing from, from many different sides, and I'm not talking about Democrat or Republican or independent. I'm not talking about black or white or yellow or green. I'm talking about what, we see, what we're seeing happening around us, I believe, is a is revealing. It's revealing the hearts of people that are desperately sinful and wicked. And the desperate of that condition, and they don't know where to go to get help. And so they're striking out. It's like a dog that's been hit by, by a car can be the friendliest dog, can be your family pet. But when that dog has been wounded and when that dog's been hurt, if you try to approach it, that dog is liable to try to bite you. Because all they know is they're hurting so bad, they're going to do something. Yes, there's a lot of hurt. Yes, there's a lot of people. But the answer is not going to be found in just being good. The answer is not going to be found in just getting better. I like, uh, again, hear me out. You'll think this is political. I don't mean it to be. Hear my heart. I love it. I loved when I heard yesterday that our president had signed a proclamation proclaiming today a national day of prayer for the victims of this storm. I love that. I love that. I liked the campaign slogan, make America great again. Now hear me, don't get up and leave until you hear me. Then you can. I believe I understand that, that, that what that means or what he intended that to mean is that by putting our national interest first in treaties, in, in uh, economic uh, trade packs and all those things. But know this, this is what Jerry Helton believes completely. This is me, listen to me. America was great because of the blessings of a benevolent heavenly father. As long as his people trusted him and placed their trust in him and in his son, Jesus Christ, they remained good. But now we have sown to the wind and we are reaping the whirlwind. Replacing the truths of God with the gods of men. I was sitting thinking one day this week and, and I remember, it's almost like Rip Van Winkle. I just, I remember, I, I was remembering back to a time before Barbie and I were even married. So it's been over 40 something years ago. We'll be married, we were married 47 We've been married a long time. Honey, I think it's 47. I think I'm right. I, could get, I can get in trouble real quick with it. I, we were married in even years. I think so, 47. So it's been a long time ago. I, I, won't say I, I won't say I was preaching. I was just a young kid. But I remember speaking at a church over, I don't know if it was North Carolina or Tennessee, because when you get down in Unica and down in that area, you're close. You know, you're close. Um, but I remember speaking in a, in a little church, and I was talking about the, the, the churches of Revelation, 
And I remember, I remember looking and studying about the church of Laodicea that was neither hot nor cold. It was a church that, that Jesus had warned could, be, could easily, we could find ourselves there in the days before his return. And we, I was thinking this week, I was sitting thinking, and all of a sudden I realized Laodicea means people's rights. And I remember talking back then, 40-something years ago, and saying, now at that time, I'm thinking, they're a bill of rights. That's, that's, our, that's our, you know, the bill of rights, we have those. Man, look at where we are today. People's rights, homosexual rights, transgender rights, citizens' rights, immigrants' rights. We could go on and on and on. Seems like everybody wants to talk about their rights, but nobody wants to shoulder responsibilities for their actions. To make America great again without addressing our great spiritual need is building on sand. It's building a house that will fall. It starts with the heart. It is all about the heart. And Jesus is here, he's speaking to this generation and to these people, and he's saying, it's the heart that's critical. The heart that's critical. I've missed a verse here. What verses have I missed? I want to share about the heart. You got my you got my list over there. Which one is it? Jesus talks about the he compares the the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Let's go. It's, it's Matthew twenty three, Matthew twenty three twenty five. Jesus says, "Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they're full of extortion and self indulgence." Blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and the dish so the outside can be cleaned later. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful on the outside, but inside you're full of dead men's bones and all kinds of uncleanness. Where does Jesus look when he sees us? He looks on our heart. He sees everything. He sees our pimples when we see them and the hair that's gone, it used to be there. He sees those things. He sees you get old. Why do you get warty when you get older? I don't know that. I've never understood that. Um, I think it's my mean, the meanest that mama told me would one day come out. I don't know. But Jesus, he surely sees the outside. But it's the heart. Scripture tells us that Jesus looks on the heart. Jesus, his word says, man looks on the outside. But God looks at her heart. Why? Because it's our heart. It's our heart where real change takes place. When our heart is on him. Jesus said to those leaders, he said, you all are like a bunch of painted white tombs. You look good on the outside. But he said, inside you are dead and full of all kinds of wickedness and uncleanness. All right, how do we do this? Um, how do I fill up my heart with good things? I ran through this first service, but they're so much closer to Jesus. I need to go over them real quickly to, to, with you. Yeah. I'm just messing with you. We do have time to run through them real quick. I'm going to do it real quick. First Peter 3.15. First Peter 3.15 says, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason 
For the hope that's in you with meekness and fear, he's going to be going to Colossians. So we need to set aside a place in our heart. We need to set aside that place where, that, that, for God where he sits on the throne of our hearts and where he is sovereign, where he is Lord, where he is supreme. That's number one. Number two, Colossians says, if you then were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, seating at the right hand of God, and set your mind on things above and not on things of earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So we need to set our, we need to, to look at heavenly things. This storm in Texas and Louisiana is just another example for us of that. Material things we can work all our lives to accumulate. And we can, some of us can accumulate much and some of us accumulate little. But the truth of the matter is, whether it's much or whether it's little, material things can be gone just like that. They're gone. Ask the people, some of the people there in Texas who got out with the clothes on their back and everything is gone materially. And many of them don't have flood insurance because they weren't expecting that. We need to be sure that God is on the throne of our heart and we need to be sure that we set our minds on those things that aren't going to leave when a storm comes or those things that aren't going to leave when the stock market turns down. There are heavenly things. Scripture says that what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Our soul is most valuable and trust God is placed within our hearts and our hands. And it don't matter if you're here with a bank account of millions or if you're here with debt of millions and you don't have a penny to your name. Jesus Christ is able to come in and take care of that heart and save that heart and save you to the uttermost. Third, that's number two. We need to set our affections on things above. Number three, Colossians 3.16. He says, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which also you're called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another hymns and spiritual songs with grace in your hearts. And that's God's word. That's God's word. We, there is no substitute for listening to God's word, listening to, to biblical scriptural singing, for reading God's word, for, showing, for letting our eyes see God's word. That's number three. Psalms 101, verse three and four, David found to be helpful to him. Psalms 101. He said, I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. A perverse heart shall depart from me. I will not know the wickedness. David said, listen. I've got to deal with this. And this was a man who understood. This was a man who had let uh, sexual lust ruin his family, caused him to commit adultery, caused him to lie and commit murder and kill him Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. David understood that when it comes to sin, he was no match for sin apart from God's word. And so David said, I'm determined. I need to fight this thing. I need to be careful about this thing. And it's interesting that he said, I need to be careful what I look at because that had got him in trouble once more than once. Verse, the next thing, that was number four. Number five, and I love verse, uh, Romans 12. How do we fill our hearts? Romans 12 says, I beseech you, I beg you, I plead with you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, and don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I think the Phillips translation says, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. I'm going to close. First service, I told him that I didn't have the clock here, and that was my excuse for running over. Tim Switzer. I never called him, nowhere to call him Switzer or Switzer. Uh, what is it? Switzer. This morning. He came out here, and he had went into the Bible study room and got the clock. And I thought he was going to put it right there. He was thinking of y'all. 
Let's, uh, let me, let me, let's, let's, let's wrap this up with Matthew 3, 7. Matthew 3, 7, John the Baptist, Jesus is coming to be baptized and John and, and multiple, multiple uh, there's a lot of people that's coming to John. And John said, when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to him, brood of vipers, who has warned you to flee the wrath that's coming? Story I heard, I don't know if it's true, I didn't, I didn't vet it, I, I apologize for that, um, for not vetting it. I usually don't like to share things that, where I can tell you whether they're true or not. So I'm just going to tell you, I don't know if this is true or not. But it's one of those things that's such a good illustration that a preacher will use it anyway, all right? Uh, but this is a story I heard. Whether it's true or not is of little value, but the truth that it portrays is, is very important. There was, a, there was a fire and a response to the fire. The, the, the alarms went off. Uh, fire engines responded. First responders came. Uh, law, uh, police officers came. And the fire was a, was a, a, a significant fire in, a, in an apartment building. And as they were trying to fight the fire, they, they looked and they noticed up on the third or fourth, fourth floor in one of the windows, uh, they, kept, they kept seeing movement. And so they ran a ladder up. One of the ladder trucks ran a ladder up to the window and a man came to the window in his pajamas. Now the building's on fire and the man came to the window and they hollered at him and said, come on down, come on down, it's on fire. And he said, let me get my clothes on. And they said, and they hollered, come on down, come just like you are, get out of there, it's on fire. He said, I need to get my clothes on first. And he disappeared into the window. One of the responders quickly tried to go up the ladder, but the flames came out and the heat and the, and the flames drove him back down. And they never saw the man again. The, flower, the stairs caved in and the man perished in the fire. I don't know if it's true. I don't know if it's not, but I thought, how, like, how you know, it sounds so much like people. And I'm thinking, I heard this story and I'm thinking, drawer tail or, or, or pajamas, get down here. The building's on fire. Who cares what you, what you, you, know, what you got on? Get down here, man. Get out, get to safety. Sometimes we can be more concerned with trying to get ourselves ready for good enough for Jesus to accept. You can't ever get yourself good enough for Jesus to accept. If we could be good enough to be, to, to be accepted by a holy God where we could spend eternity to him, listen to me, if we could be good enough, if one person could, could have been good enough, I know it ain't Jerry Helton, but maybe it'd be William or Debbie, William's precious wife. But if one person could have been good enough to be accepted by God, then Jesus, his, his persecution and his rejection and his crucifixion was needless. It's needless if we could get good enough without him. But the truth of the matter is, it, it takes the sinless, it took the sinless blood of a sinless savior, the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, to atone for my sins and your sins and the sins of the world. So we can't get good enough. So this morning, if you're here and you're trying to think, I need to get good enough, I need to do this, I need to do that. No, that's like the man said in the window, let me go change clothes first. Let me go get dressed first. And the call to you this morning is this, come as you are, come on down, get out of there. Jesus loves you, he died for you. 
There's a warning to flee from the wrath to come. God can take a heart that was filled with dead things and bad things, and he can put a new heart in there, and he will. What's, I, I wanted to, I didn't know what to title the message this morning. One of mine was, what sign is hanging on your heart? Vacancy? Maybe cleaned and empty and put in order, but if it's empty, wow. Or is it full or being filled with those things, the right things of God that he's told me about? Let's pray. Father, this morning, the truth of your word is so freeing. It frees us up to be who we are, and that's sinful people in need of a savior. It frees us up to quit trying to be good enough or clean enough or get good enough or get right enough so you'll accept us. You've already accepted us as we are in Christ. And so we come to you through faith and we come to you desperately, desperately needy and saying to you, we need your righteousness. We need your forgiveness. We need your mercies and your grace, which you lavish upon us. And for those of us that have tasted and for those of us that have been saved and are saved and walking with the Lord, Lord, we, we, it, it's amazing. It, every, it's an amazing, amazing thing, this unconditional love of our Lord and Savior. But Father, I'm, I'm fully aware that's very, 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 very possible and most, not only possible, but probably likely that there's some of those that are sitting here this morning that maybe they come every week Maybe this is the first time they visited. It doesn't matter. What matters is that you're seeing their heart and you love them, but you're seeing a heart that desperately is crying out. And they may not know what they're crying out for, but you know they're crying out to you. And this morning, as your word has done its work, there's conviction. And the Holy Spirit is saying, I love you. You need to come to me and let me take care of this. If that's you this morning... We sure don't have an altar, but we can make one down front. You're more than welcome to come and someone will pray with you. Or maybe you just want to pray right where you are and say, God, that's me. That's me. People see me on the outside, but they don't see what's inside. If they did, they wouldn't like me. But you see, and Jerry says, you still not only like me, but you love me. But God, I know that I'm headed apart from you to hell. And this morning, I'm coming to you in total surrender and saying, I need Jesus to come into my life. If that's you, if that's you, just raise your hand up and keep it it up. I want to pray with you. I need Jesus in my life. Nobody, please, nobody look around. Just pray. Pray, Christians, pray. There's hands up. Lord, we come to you. Just keep them up. And let this be the prayer of your heart. Jesus, come into my heart. Change me. Make me new in you. In Jesus' name I pray. Put your hand down. If you prayed that prayer with all your, with it sincerely before the Lord, welcome to the family of God. He's new, he's real glory in your life. Hallelujah to that. Tell someone close to you today what Jesus has done. Somebody that you may know as a Christian, call, call them or talk to them and say, hey, I prayed that prayer this morning with that man and, uh, and just pray for me. They'll love you. That'll be the best thing you could tell them. And welcome to the family of God. Jesus, you are awesome, and your love is indescribably good. In your name we pray, amen.